calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. Hope you're having a glorious weekend, or if you listen to this during the week, a glorious week. I am now working on the second draft of Shakedown, the Crypt Book One. It is some bonkers, bonkers stuff. I am 30,000 words in, another 100,000 words to go. Hopefully, it stays right about the 130,000 word mark. But second drafts are about tightening the story, which, surprisingly, often means the word count gets bigger, not smaller. That always happens with me anyways. Most times, tightening the story means I find this cool thing a character needs to do in, say, chapter five. Then I have to go back and foreshadow that scene happening in, say, chapter two. So you're adding stuff in five and then you're adding stuff in two and the story just gets a little bigger. Most of my work involves this style, which I refer to as back spackling, hyphenated, back spackling. Don't bother Googling it because I made it up. I should be done in another two weeks or so, and then the publisher dives in head first, still no idea what the publication date will be. That is it for my jibber-jab this week. Let's get you caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go charge some rechargeable batteries. Previously on The Rookie. At the Combine, Quentin set all-time records for his position. He is about to board the Kraken shuttle and head to Ionath. If... Team owner Greedock the Splithead allows it, and if his rookie teammates don't kill him first. I am Greedock the Splithead. You are all now my property. You rookies, you are nothing of importance. I own your contracts for this season, and I have the final say on if you make this team or not. He gestured to the yellow-furred quith leader that had come off the shuttle with him. This is Hokar the Hookchest, the coach of the Ionath Krakens. You will follow his instructions to the letter. Hokar stepped up, his antenna plastered back flat against his skull. Training camp begins immediately. This shuttle will take you to the touchback, our team bus which is your home as long as you're with the Krakens. 
You will stow your gear, then report to position meetings where you will be given your study assignments. Once you have been shown how to operate the Kriegs Ballot virtual practice system, you will report to the field for practice. Quentin had no idea what the key lineman Mumo Killowee was saying, and apparently neither did Coach Hokor. Hokor spoke to the blue-suited Kretorakian that sat on top of Mumo Killowee's head. Shizzle, what does he want? The blue-suited Kretorakian swooped down, his silver bells tinkling in time with each flap of his leathery wings. The great Mumo Killowee wants to know when he can begin to hit the human Quentin Barnes. Quentin's eyes widened with surprise. This giant key thing already wanted to tear his head off. Shizzle, you tell him to shut his mouth and tell him he'll only be told once. Shizzle relayed the command. Then Muma Killowee turned and strode towards Quentin, roaring sounds that rang obscene despite the language barrier. Quentin turned to face him and crouched, mind instantly switching to game mode, looking for the best place to hit the 580-pound, six-legged, four-armed nightmare. The nursery rhyme is said to go for its back, but he didn't see a way around the long, muscular, multi-jointed arms. Quentin barely saw movement before the two quith warriors were on Mumakilui. They both jabbed him with their staffs, resulting in a loud crackling sound and flickers of blue-white light. Mumakilui roared in pain. He turned and grabbed for the quith warrior wearing the Kraken's jersey, but the smaller creature danced back, effortlessly avoiding the wild grab, and jabbed the stun stick into Mumakilui's chest. Mumakilui sagged, then fell to the ground, a 12-foot-long, motionless blob. The rookie stood in silence. The smell of burnt ozone filled Quentin's nostrils. The Quith warriors each grabbed one of Mumakilui's arms and labored to drag him into the shuttle. Normally, we'd kick him off the team, but we're short on defensive linemen, and the season is only a week away. We're not, however, short on wide receivers, running backs, or quarterbacks. Hokor walked down the blue line until he stood in front of Quentin. Kneel down, human. I want to look you in the eye. Quentin quickly looked at Yasud, who nodded nervously. Quentin got on one knee and still had to lean down to look straight into Hokor's one big eye. He'd never seen a quith leader, or any other alien for that matter, this close up. Hokor's eye wasn't really clear, but a translucent light blue filled with hundreds of green discs in a tight geometrical pattern. His fur was thick, each strand much thicker than a human hair. The most disturbing physical aspect was the pedipalps, quivering things on either side of the mouth, as coordinated and well-developed as a human arm. Quentin kept his cool, but it surprised him to feel the grip of a lifetime of Purist Nation teachings. Most of his people would be screaming right now, either with pure terror or righteous, murderous rage. He mostly viewed those people with contempt, so it shocked Quentin that he felt both emotions, stirring up from somewhere so deep in his subconscious he hadn't even known they existed. But Quentin was on a mission, and his pure, unstoppable desire to play football at the highest levels ran far stronger than programmed ideology. Barnes, as soon as practice starts, nobody is going to be there to stop him. You had better be ready to complete the offensive play when three of those things are coming at you, hoping to maim you, or if they get in a good shot, just kill you outright. Quentin smiled. 
Just give me the ball, coach. Hokor's antenna quivered once, then fell flat. We'll see, rookie. He walked to the airlock door. Kraken rookies, come aboard. The following is an excerpt from the Galaxy's Greatest Damn Sports Show with Dan, Akbar, and Tarrant the Smasher. Welcome back, sports fans. Dan Gianni here with Akbar Smith and our own football legend in residence, Tarrant the Smasher. Thanks, Dan. So what are we going to talk about today? <laughs> As if there was any question. Baseball season is almost over, and to tell you the truth, with four player strikes in the past ten seasons, I don't really think anyone gives a damn. It's so boring. Oh, come on, Dan. I still like baseball. Like I said, no one gives a damn. Intergalactic Soccer Association season is coming up, but that's a little boring as well. Good sport, but Scalorno have completely taken it over. That's true. There are 1,012 players in that league, and all of them are Scalorno. You can't fight speed, not in soccer. But we all know one sport that caters to all species, and that's only one week away. Nothing like finishing up Tier 1 football and rolling right into Tier 2. That's right, sports fans. We're talking Tier 2 football. The Jupiter Jacks captured the Tier 1 crown last week with a thrilling 21-20 Galaxy Bowl win over the Toe Pirates. Don't the rookies arrive in camp today? That's right, Dan. You know, I hate this system. The rookies only have one week in camp before the first game. But there's no way around that. I know there's no way around it, but it still sucks. I mean, some of these guys are playing in championship games only a few days ago. Trust me, none of them are complaining. Sure, no argument there. But take Quinn Barnes, for example, the quarterback of the Mykovi Raiders of the PNFL. I mean, he played the PNFL championship only a week ago, and in seven days, he'll line up for his first Tier 2 game with the Ioneth Krakens. That's crazy. What makes you think he'll play a down? He'll ride the bench for the first half season like most of the rookies. You think? The Krakens have to get someone at quarterback who can win games. Who can win? Were you dropped on your head repeatedly as a child? Have you ever heard of the Krakens quarterback? Some guy named Donald Pine? He's all washed up. He can't win the big games. He won two Galaxy Bowls. Ancient history. He has choked in every big game in the past three seasons for the Krakens. And you think some rookie is the answer? Probably not. We all know quarterbacks from the purest nation don't last. But Barnes probably doesn't have to do much to be better than Donald Pine is right now. You've got to be kidding me. Look at the games, will you? Last year, the Krakens went 6-3 and three and missed the playoffs with a Week 9 loss to orbiting death. Pine throws four interceptions. He gets pulled, and the number two quarterback, Trey Peterson, dies four plays later. Pine goes back in and throws another interception. Okay, that's one game. But what about two seasons ago? Krakens kill eventual league champ Sala Intrigue 48-24. But they drop four games to teams with a combined record of 13-23. and All of those games were upsets. Pine couldn't win the games he's supposed to win. He's not the only guy on the field, Dan. Of course not. But look at Pine's record since he won that last Galaxy Bowl back in 2676. You know how this game works. The blame falls on the quarterback. If it wasn't for Mitchell Fayed, the Krakens would be nothing. I played against Fayed before I retired. 
That is the toughest human I've ever seen. You hit him and hit him, and he just gets up and smiles. That's why they call him the machine. Number 47 just keeps on running. Can we get back to the subject of Donald Pine? Look, Pine's still a great quarterback, but in some games he just flat out chokes. So again, you're going on record saying Quentin Barnes is the answer. I didn't say that. He's a rookie, and a purest nation rookie at that. He's never been hit by a key lineman, and he's never faced a blitz from a quith warrior. If he lasts one season, I'll be surprised. Pine will start, as usual. Pine will lose the big games, as usual. And the Krakens will flail about in the middle of the pack, as usual. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. The shuttle disengaged from the airlock and shot away from the combine. It felt cramped inside the small vehicle, which probably would have seated 12 humans comfortably. The prone form of Mumakiloe took up half the floor. The rest of the rookies took whatever seats they could find. Within minutes, they approached the touchback. It was only half the size of the Starliner that had brought him from Makobe, yet much larger than Quentin had thought it would be. Perhaps an eighth of a mile long, over half the ship consisted of a clear dome covering a full-size practice field, a hundred yards long with ten-yard-long end zones, one painted orange, one painted black. Eighteen decks rose up all around the field, as if engineers had scooped out a large section of ship, put down the field, then sealed everything off with a clear dome. It seemed that from every deck, one would only be a short walk from a view of the practice field. A large engine assembly sat behind the black end zone. The passenger decks, bridge, and other ship constructs were on the opposite side, behind the orange end zone. Instead of the sleek, eye-pleasing lines of a passenger liner, the touchback bore the blocky profile of a distinctly military vehicle. As the shuttle drew closer, Quentin recognized the telltale mounted spheres of weapon assemblies. Hi, one. Are those gun mounts? Yasud nodded. It looks like a converted frigate. Couldn't tell you what kind, though. I've never actually seen a warship, except in the movies. The sudden sound of rapidly tinkling bells, accompanied by the heavy fluttering of leathery wings, like a five-pound dragonfly, erupted near their heads. Quentin instinctively ducked down to one knee, while Yasud simply turned. Shizzle hovered, resplendent in his blue and silver suit. The touchback is a converted Planetary Union Ahmed class heavy weapons platform. The creature spoke smoothly, 
sounding like the voiceover for an intoxicant commercial. Formerly known as the Bagabad Rodina, a component of the famed Blue Fleet, taken by Cretorakian boarding parties in the battles of 2640. Temporarily used as a patrol craft, mothballed in 2644. Purchased by Greedock the Splithead in 2665 under special license from the Cretorakian Empire when he acquired the INF Kraken's franchise. Quentin stood, feeling foolish for having ducked like a frightened child. The two Quith warriors stared at him, stock still, save for their pedipalps, which quivered in a sickening fashion. The two Sklornos, Denver and Milford, also stared at him, but seemed emotionless. He looked at Hokor and Greedock. He didn't know much about Quith leaders, but he felt quite sure that they were laughing at him. What's the matter, human? Greedock asked, his pedipalps quivering. Haven't spent much time around Kretorakians. Quentin felt his face flushing red. The Quith warriors weren't moving, but their pedipalps quivered just like the leaders. All four of them were laughing at him. Don't sweat it, Yasud said supportively. You'll get used to it. The Kretorakian civilians love the game. You'll see them all the time. Shizzle just hovered. His front eyes seemed to look at Quentin, but Quentin couldn't be sure. I am not used to beings being frightened of me, especially one that's 30 times my mass. I'm not afraid of you. You just startled me, that's all. Quentin felt eager to change the subject. I thought weapons were illegal on anything but system police vessels and Kretorakian military ships. Greedock stood and walked over, emanating confidence and control, despite the fact that Quentin towered over him. I don't know what kind of news they show you in the nation, but piracy is still a major problem. The SP forces have cut it down quite a bit since they were implemented in 54, but it's still out there. Since the League restarted in 59, five team buses have been destroyed by pirates. That's an entire franchise, players, coaching staff, everything, instantly wiped out. Wreaks havoc on the League's schedule. So GFL ships are allowed limited defensive weaponry. Nothing that would be a match for a Kretorakian frigate, mind you, but it's usually enough to fend off the pirates. The touchback loomed large outside the viewport. The shuttle banked sharply. Quentin and Yasud each had to place a hand on the bulkhead to keep their balance. Quentin noticed that the Quiths, both leaders and warriors alike, instantly adjusted their weight and barely seemed to notice the sharp bank. The shuttle slowed and docked. Quentin's ears popped as the airlock hissed open. Greedock and Hokor led the rookies out, followed by the warriors, who dragged the still-unconscious Mumokiloe by his front arms. The airlock opened into an expansive landing bay, covered by a 50-foot-high dome ceiling. The place looked fairly empty, save for orderly rows of equipment and stacked metal crates. A handful of humans, Sklorno, Key, Quith leaders, and Quith warriors walked forward to greet the rookies. A babble of strange languages filled the landing bay. A huge, glowing hologram hung in the middle of the bay. It read, The Ionath Krakens are on a collision course with a Tier 1 berth. The only variable is time. A tall man eased out of the crowd and walked up to Quentin. Praise the High One for blessing your journey, the man said in a traditional purist greeting. Welcome. I'm Rick Warburg. Tight end. Warburg extended his hand, and Quentin shook it. He hadn't expected to feel homesick, but he did, just a little, and he was surprised to feel relief at the sight of one of his countrymen. 
Warburg was tall, an even seven feet, and looked to weigh around 365 pounds. He had curly, deep black hair, light brown skin, and the infinity forehead tattoo of a confirmed church member. I'm Quentin Barnes, and praise to the High One for bringing us together. Quentin didn't hold much for formalities, but he was a long way from home, and it didn't hurt to give the traditional answer to Warburg's traditional welcome. Warburg was nothing short of a national hero to the Pierce Nation. He was one of 29 Pierce players among the top two tiers, and all of them were quite famous within nation space. When Quentin had been a child, 20-odd Purist Nation players in the league sounded like a lot. Other than reporting the scores, the only feature stories and highlights broadcast over the government network concerned Nation players. Quentin thought his Purist Nation heroes ruled the GFL. The truth, however, was that with 76 teams, each with a roster of 44 players, there were 3,344 players in the league. That meant the Purist Nation players took up less than 1% of league roster spots. Warburg beamed at Quentin with a warm grin. It's good to see a national light here. These sub-races can challenge the will of any man. Aw, oh, come on now. There we go again with that sub-races chant. A smiling, six-foot-six, blue-skinned human pushed through the crowd and extended his hand to Quentin. Despite the nation's limited GFL broadcast coverage, Quentin had no problem recognizing the man. Donald Pine, quarterback for the GFL champion Jupiter Jacks in 75 and 76. Quentin found himself caught between a burst of hero worship and a sense of revulsion at touching that blue skin. But that wasn't who he was anymore, so he shook Pine's hand. Pine smiled, his teeth a sharply white contrast against his blue skin and darker blue lips. Warburg, you've always got such a friendly outlook on things. The truth should never be blurred over, eh, Pine? Warburg was also smiling. There was nothing happy about it. You were born this way. You know I don't hold it against you. <laughs> well, let's just hope that Quentin don't hold it against me either. I see he's not wearing makeup, so maybe he doesn't think quite like you do, eh? I told you before, Blue Boy, it's not makeup. It's a holy tattoo. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you did tell me that. I'm very sorry, your holy holiness. Warburg nodded, his features melting into a dark, dangerous scowl. One of these days, blue boy, you won't be the starter anymore. Warburg tilted his head to indicate Quentin. And that's going to happen sooner than you think. And when it does, you and I are going to settle up. Quentin, I'll see you at dinner. Warburg walked away. Absolutely charming fellow. Not entirely indicative of all the nationalites I've met, but uh, not far from it either. Quentin wasn't sure if Pine's comments were a slam on Warburg or on all nationalites. He's confirmed, man. Confirmed church members are rather set in their ways, you know? Don Pine nodded. And I see you're not confirmed. Does that mean you've got that ever-so-rare purest nation resource known as the open mind? Quentin shrugged. I'm setting my ways, too. They might not be the same ways as Warburg, that's all. Well, that's a start. It's my duty to show you around the ship and get you ready for practice. Give any help you might need. As a teenager, Quentin had idolized Pine, watching pirated broadcasts of the Jupiter Jacks games, marveling in the man's effortless skill. All Pine needed was enough time 
and he could dissect any secondary. But that was in the late 70s. In the 80s, Pine's star had fallen and fallen fast. After three straight losing seasons, the Jacks traded Pine to the Board Brigands in 2680. He lasted only one season there before the Krakens picked him up, hoping he would lead them back to Tier 1. The Krakens were still hoping. And considering they had drafted a certain Quentin Barnes, that hope no longer seemed to hinge solely on Donald Pine. In his teen years, he'd worshipped the man, that was true. But Quentin wasn't a teenager anymore, and Pine wasn't his hero. Donald Pine was the competition. I don't need any help. I've learned to figure things out just fine for myself. Pine's smile faded, just a little, then returned as he shrugged. He waved another man over. Suit yourself, kid. Let me introduce you to another Kraken's quarterback. This is Itzhak Goldman. Itzhak stepped forward and shook Quentin's hand. At six foot four, he was very short for a quarterback. He had the bleach-white skin of a Tower Republic native of Planet Fortress, along with equally white hair and eyebrows. The only things of any color were his deep black eyes. The irises were just as black as the pupils, giving the man an eerie, haunting stare. Welcome aboard! Quentin simply nodded. He'd seen Itzhak play last year when Pine was out for two weeks for knee replacement. Quentin had been less than impressed. Through the flurry of meet and greet, a strange creature crawled forward. Quentin couldn't help but take a step back. He'd never seen the like before. It resembled a quith leader or warrior, or at four feet tall, maybe somewhere in between. It had only one eye, which was much smaller than a leader's or a warrior's. The creature's pedipalps were long, almost three feet long, and so thick they seemed like human arms. It smelled like strong onions. The creature reached out with one of the pedipalps and gently tried to take Quentin's bag. Quentin turned his shoulder, pulling the bag slightly away. The demonic-looking creature made his skin crawl, but he concentrated on staying his ground, dead set against repeating the embarrassment he'd felt when he'd hit the deck at the sound of Shizzle's flapping wings. What's the matter, Quentin? Pilky here will take your bag for you. Pilky? Quentin never took his eyes off the creature. It's all right, Quentin. You look tense. Quentin looked at Itzak, then at Pine, then lifted the bag strap off his shoulder and set the bag, at arm's length, down on the deck. Without a sound, Pilkey grabbed the bag and walked towards the door at the edge of the landing bay. Man, you all right, boy? You act like you've never seen a quit worker before. Quentin shrugged. I haven't. Pine and Itzak laughed, then stopped when they realized that Quentin wasn't kidding. Sorry about that, Quentin. Pine clapped Quentin on the shoulder. I forgot you're fresh off the Purest Nation farm. Now, come on. We got a position meeting in 20 minutes. Hokor handles the quarterback meetings, and trust me, you do not want to be late. They walked off the flight deck to a waiting lift platform. Pine said nothing. The lift simply took them upwards. Quentin watched the flight deck shrink away. So, uh, are there any other kinds of quith I should know about? I'm getting kind of tired of all these surprises. Just the females, but there's none of those on board, Itzhak said. Females are sacred in quith culture. No non-quith are even supposed to lay eyes on them. Females never leave the home planets. All right, you ready for the tour, Quentin? Can we see the field? 
Pine nodded. Right this way, kid. A central tunnel, large enough for heavy equipment, ran from the flight deck all the way to the other end of the ship. The tunnel, with its arched ceiling and curved walls, acted like a main highway. Every 30 feet or so, smaller tunnels branched off at right angles, leading into the ship's numerous sections. Quentin followed Pine straight down the main tunnel until it opened into the huge space that was the Kraken's practice field. The clear dome revealed the black expanse of space, dotted with thousands of bright sparks that were stars of the Milky Way galaxy. Ten yards or so past the end zones and sidelines, the ship's decks rose up 18 levels high. They walked onto the field, entering at the orange end zone. The surface had some give and felt a lot like Carsenji grass that covered most purest nation fields, but he could tell this was artificial. Hundreds of flat, circular white creatures, each the size of a pancake, moved around the field. They moved slowly, but quickly scooted out of the way of approaching feet. I think you guys need to call the exterminator. Those are clippers. This is nanograss, self-replicating mechanical cells that grow constantly to give us a good practice surface. The clippers are little robots that keep the nanograss at a constant height. They ever get underfoot? Itzhak shook his head. Now nah, they stick clear of anything that moves. They're fine. As they walked past the 50-yard line, Quentin noticed that the white discs cleared out in front of them, then closed in behind as the humans passed by. He looked around, trying to take it all in. This was where his destiny would really begin. Just past the black end zone, the three men stepped aboard a lift. The lift rose swiftly to deck 18. Quentin followed Pine down the hall. The orange walls complemented the white and black carpet. Most of the diverse furnishings, two for each of the varying body styles of Quith, Key, Sklorno, and Human, were also done in orange and black. The high ceiling allowed Human and Sklorno alike to pass in comfort. Holoframes covered the walls, showing the great players from the 23-year history of the Ionath Krakens. Most holoframes, of course, depicted players or scenes from the Kraken's GFL Tier 1 Championship of 2665. That had been the franchise's heyday, back when quarterback Bobby Orbital Assault Adronjic put together three fantastic seasons, culminating in the 65 title, a 23-21 thriller over the Wabash Wall. After that game, Adronjic died in a bar fight, under conditions that most would call suspicious. Kraken's fans blame Wabash supporters, or possibly even the Wabash owner herself, Gloria Ogawa, who had founded the Wall in the GFL's inaugural season of 2659, was a known gangland figure in the Tower Republic and had not taken the loss well. This deck holds the Kraken's corporate offices. Communication with the League, archiving, marketing, network relations, stuff like that. Pine looked up at the famous holoframe of the smiling Adrogic, held aloft by two key linemen raising the championship trophy high in one hand. Is that what you're going to be, kid? The next Adronjic? The future of this franchise? Quentin shrugged. He'd never seen Adronjic play. Sometimes you could score pirated games in Makovi or in Buddha City, but for the most part, the old historical GFL stuff just wasn't available. Pine grinned at Quentin and continued down the hall. Yeah, yeah, you could be the savior. What are you, kid? 22, 23? 19. Pine's eyebrows rose up. He looked at Itzhak, who let out a low whistle and shook his head. 
19. Man, you play your cards right, kid. You could have a great career ahead of you. Of course, that's what the press said about Timmy Hammersmith in 2678. And don't forget Crane McSweeney in 2681, after Hammersmith washed out in just two seasons. Pine smiled and nodded, looking at Quentin the whole time. Yeah, that's right. But McSweeney didn't last much longer. He might have developed into something big if he hadn't died during that game against the wall crawlers in 2680. Rookie QBs just don't seem to fare too well around these parts. It seems some veterans don't fare too well either. Quentin wasn't going to put up with this rookie bullshit. He was no normal rookie, and that was something they'd all find out soon enough. They brought you in to finish a 2680 season, didn't they, Pine? Two and a half seasons at the helm, and the Krakens are still tier two. Itzhak stopped walking and turned to face Quentin. Hey now, you better watch yourself, rookie. You don't want That's enough. Pine was still smiling. He held his left hand up to stop Itzhak, cutting the shorter man off in mid-sentence. Pine's smile was no longer friendly, but that of someone who looks down on another. That's a good point, Quentin. Pine held up his right hand. On his ring and index finger were two thick golden rings each set with dozens of sparkling rubies. Championship rings from 2675 and 2676. At the sight of those rings, Quentin felt his soul royal with pure envy, greed, and flat-out desire. And you can have all the good points you want, rookie. But until you prove it out on the field, it's all talk. Until you got one of these. Pine wiggled his fingers, letting the rubies catch the hall's light. I suggest you keep those good points to yourself. Quentin smiled graciously, flourished, and gave a half bow. Whatever you say, Pops. Pine's smile briefly faded to a glare. Then he continued down the hall. Quentin felt the competitive fire building inside his brain. He couldn't wait to get out in the field. He was the future of the Krakens, not this washed-up has-been. He'd learn what he could from the old man the next week before the old man got used to his new position, bench warmer. They turned into a large room, about 50 yards in diameter, with the clear dome open to the star-speckled blackness of space. The floor consisted of a silvery grid of small hexes, each only a centimeter or so wide. Just inside the door sat a long rack of footballs, built on a tilt so the balls would roll down and stop at a catch at the end. What's all this? Quentin bounced on his toes, feeling the hexes give slightly under his feet. This is the sim room, state-of-the-art in football technology. Pine walked to the end of the rack and picked up a football. The other footballs rolled down the rack to fill the newly created space. It's the Kriegsballock virtual practice system. Greedick had it installed during the offseason. Ship! Grontag Stadium, night game. The clear dome shimmered with flashes of blue and silver. Then it was gone instantly replaced by a bright purple sky arcing over a massive stadium. The room sound went from echoing silence to the sudden cacophony of 165,000 fans, mostly Queth, screeching in their spine-rippling equivalent of a human cheer. Quentin spun around, suddenly disoriented by the purple sky, the thousands of fans swinging black, teal, and white banners and flags, and the steady, subdued roar of a crowd waiting between plays. A blazing sun hung almost directly overhead, and a blue moon, ringed with light red, hung suspended in the southern sky. It was all so real. 
the floor shimmered as well, and then the hexes were gone, replaced with millions of the flat blue plants that made up a quith playing field, complete with white yard markers. Kraken's ball, first and ten. Ball set right, split left, double hook and post. More blue and silver shimmers flashed in the air, this time only ten feet from where the three men stood. Ten players dressed in Kraken's uniforms materialized and moved to the line of scrimmage. The scurrying waddle of huge key linemen, the loping, graceful strides of three sclerno receivers, the natural gait of the human tailback and tight end. The players moved like the real thing, although they were all slightly translucent, and their uniform color seemed blurred by a slight blue haze. A computer voice echoed through the chamber. Defensive set selection, please. Make it random. Pine walked up to the line, crouched, and held the ball in front of him as though he were ready to take a snap. Another flash preceded the sudden appearance of players clad in the black, teal, and blue colors of the glory war pigs. Quentin's awe over the technology faded away, and his strategic mind took over as he watched the holographic war pig players line up in a 3-4 set with man-to-man -man coverage. Red 15! Red 15! Pine barked out the signal so he could be heard over the crowd. Quentin felt his heart rate increase and the rush of adrenaline pump into his veins. He'd never seen anything like this. He could feel the stadium shake as the crowd's intensity increased. Hut, hut, hut! Pine dropped back five steps, planted, and bounced a half step forward. He stood tall, looking downfield as his Sklorno receivers darted out, tightly covered by the War Pigs' defensive backs. Pine threw the ball a split second before the right wide receiver suddenly cut back towards the line, a timing pattern. The receiver raised his long arms to catch the ball. It went right through the hologram, skipping and rolling down the field. The players vanished, although the crowd and the crowd noise remained. Pass complete, a gain of six yards, second down and four. Pine walked back to Quentin, who couldn't stop himself from constantly looking around. What do you think, rookie? This is incredible. Is this where we practice? Pine shook his head. No, we practice out in the main field. But this is where you do your position work and drill for each week's game. This way you can practice sets over and over again against holographs that are just as fast as the opposition's defensive players. Practice squad players really aren't as much of a challenge. Can I give it a try? Pine grabbed a football and tossed it to Quinn. Be my guest. Let me set it up for you. Second and four, what do you want to run? Quentin smiled. Man, I want to go deep. Pine smiled, that condescending smile again, and nodded. Wide set, snake package, double post, on two. Defense, cover two with woman to woman underneath. You mean man to man coverage, right? Sklorno are females, remember? Woman to woman. There you go, kid. I made it easy for you. The players materialized and ran up to the line. Quentin walked forward, eyes wide with wonder. He crouched below the center as his eyes scanned the defense. The reality was such he recognized Peter Warburg at tight end, Scarborough at wide receiver, Haywick in the slot two yards in and one yard back from Scarborough. He didn't bother to look, but he knew that a lifelike image of number 47, tailback Mitchell Fayette, the Kraken's beloved machine, would be right behind him. Hut! Hut! The line surged forward. It almost sounded similar to a real line crash but was just a bit stale and echoey. Quentin dropped back five steps, planted, and eased into his stand-up, ball at the ready. 
He watched the hollow Scarborough, his receiver, streak down the right sideline. The man-to-man, or woman-to-woman, coverage quickly fell behind. Just as the safety started to pick up the route, Quentin reared back and let the ball fly. It sailed through the air in a perfect, arcing spiral, a brown missile framed against a bright purple sky. The ball looked right on the money, but the safety moved faster than anything Quentin had ever seen on a football field. Damn it! Quentin watched the holo safety blur in front of the holo Scarborough, leap 12 feet into the air, and reach for the ball. The ball continued down the field, bouncing off the flat leaves, but Quentin didn't need the computer to tell him the results. Pass intercepted. Fuck! Why'd you guys have to go and rig it? You think this is funny? Rig it? What the hell are you talking about? Oh, come on! You saw fast that safety close. Nothing moves that fast. Pine and Itzak looked at each other, then started laughing. <laughs> Welcome to the GFL backwater. You're going to love it here. Quentin glared. If they wanted to play stupid games with him, he'd show them. Let me try that again. Why? So you can fail again? Coach Hokor's voice caught him by surprise. He turned, an unexpected sense of trepidation in his chest, as if he were a teenage boy caught in the middle of masturbating. And simulation! The tiny quith leader marched towards Quentin as the field, the fans, the stadium, and the players vanished, replaced by the clear dome and the sparkling stars. Barnes, what in the name of your primitive backwater gods was that? Hokor's fur seemed to stand on end, making him look thicker than normal. Quentin knew that was some instinctive reaction, evolutionarily designed to make Hokor look bigger, therefore more dangerous, but in reality, it just made him look fuzzy, like a stuffed animal. Still, his voice was a voice of command Quentin's previous coaches had never had. Or perhaps more accurately, they had never used. At least, not on him. That was an interception, coach. And why did you throw it? Well, I, I thought I had Scarborough on the streak. You thought? You thought? Don't you know who the Warpig's safety is? Quentin thought it was a rhetorical question, but Hokor seemed to wait for an answer. Quentin shrugged. No, I don't know. Hokor's petty palps quivered with anger. You don't know who it is, but you threw the pass anyway. You did know the war pigs picked up Kellowang in free agency? Kellowang? I, I thought he, well, I, you know, I mean, she. I, I thought she played for the Hullwalkers in tier one. Well, now she plays for the war pigs! Hokor's furry body shook with anger. You stupid human! You don't even know who you're playing against and you just blindly throw into coverage? Quentin smiled. Take it easy, coach. How am I supposed to know who's on what team right now? Quentin saw Pine and Itzhak duck their heads in an effort to conceal their grins. Itzhak hit his face in his hands and slowly shook his head. How are you supposed to know? It's your job to know. You're a quarterback for the Ionath Krakens. We will not make it to the Tier 2 tournament and therefore back into the glory of Tier 1 if my helpless quarterbacks don't know everything there is to know about the opposition. You must be punished for this error. You'll report to me after practice, and by tomorrow, you will know the defensive roster of all nine teams in the Quith Conference. By tomorrow? Oh, come on, coach. I figure that stuff out on the field. Nobody knows all that shit. Well, you know, nobody except for sports reporters, right? Hokor turned to face Pine. Pine, who is the second-string free safety for the Sheb Stalkers? Well, that'd be fair, Mon Coach. And what are her stats? Last recorded time in the 40 was a 3-2.
17 years old, four-year veteran, tends to jump the short routes and give extra space on deep routes for passing situations. Now, she comes in as a nickelback, but she doesn't like to hit the big tight ends head on. It's like, what's a strategy when playing her? Passing situations send tight ends on deep outs or deep curls. She doesn't pressure the tight end enough, usually allowing for a little time to make a well-placed throw. Shouldn't throw the ball deep on her if you can avoid it. But if you have to, put the ball up high because a vertical leap of 12 feet usually can't compete with our receivers. Hokor turned back to Quentin. That is why these men have been around the league for so long. With all due respect, Coach, just because you guys memorize one player doesn't mean anything. I may be young, but I wasn't born yesterday. You guys set that up just to impress me. Hokor's fur rippled, and his pedipalps were a vibrating blur. Pick a player. Huh? Pick a player. Quentin felt a sinking feeling. From what team? Any team in the quith-radiated division. All right, fine. How about this? The uh, second string weak side linebacker for the Big Diggers. Rip Rip the stone cutter. cutter. Last recorded time of 3-9 in the 40. Five-year veteran the last three seasons with the Diggers. Very disciplined. Plays excellent zone, makes excellent reads, but poor lateral movement due to leg replacement surgery in 2671. Use quick tight end out patterns and bring wide receivers on crossing patterns across the field. Then throw in the equal to Ripak because he can't break on the ball as fast as they can. Quentin just stared. He didn't know that much information about his own linebackers for the Raiders, let alone for another team. And these guys had ripped off the info without a second thought. Are you impressed? Quentin nodded dumbly. By tomorrow, know every player on the rosters. We'll work on stats and tendencies through the week. Let us commence with our position meeting. We're six days from the season opener against the Woo Wall Crawlers. It'll take us four days to reach Ionath. We'll practice on the touchback until we reach Ionath, then shuttle down to the field facility for on-field practices. You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon, superweaponband.com. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.